Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I feel like I typically, at least I hope I typically have like like a single thought that like runs through my homilies. I don't have a single thought for you this morning. I've got two unconnected thoughts that we'll see if the Lord connects them at some point. Two unconnected thoughts I want to share. One about biblical scholarship and the other is about just a practical point from the gospel about intercessory prayer. So this first point about biblical scholarship. So in the 19th and 20th centuries we saw the rise, biblical scholarship saw the rise of this kind of school of thought this approach to biblical interpretation known as the historical critical method. The historical critical method. It's an attempt to bore down into the text to understand what the human author meant, isolating the text within the time, the culture, and history, right? So it was, it was only looking at it, considering it from the human vantage point. Now, there's something good and praiseworthy about this approach. It's yielded some very interesting things, but it's ultimately... It's ultimately flawed because it's so reductive. It's ultimately flawed because it's spiritless, right? Because you cannot simply consider these texts as merely human texts because they're not merely human texts. They are God-breathed, right? Inspired. They are living. They're effective. All of those things. They have both a human and a divine authorship. Like we say of Jesus, he's true God and true man. We call that the hypostatic union. The scriptures have something very similar. They are both true God and true man, right? They are authored by human agency, but also authored by God and his divine authorship. There's a sort of hypostatic union in the scriptures as well. Okay, why am I bringing all this up? Because one of the prominent ideas that came to the fore in this historical critical approach from the scholars was that the earlier gospels, namely Mark and Matthew and Luke, these earlier gospels, they contain what they referred to as a low Christology. This sort of view of Jesus as more or less a, a, a merely human teacher. This compared to the high Christology of John's gospel, which uh, was determined was written later. So they concluded that since John's gospel was written much later, then this whole, the divinization of Jesus, seeing Jesus as more than merely human, it, came, it was a much later accretion that the original Christians thought of Jesus more or less as just a really profound teacher, an incredible rabbi from Galilee, who after his death in their minds and memories was elevated. You can see this in books like, this is the classic example, Bart Ehrman, who wrote a book called How Jesus Became God, The Exaltation of a Jewish Preacher from Galilee. It's emblematic of this line of thinking. Okay. So this view is so patently false, I can barely get the words out of my mouth. It is so patently false. The gospel that we have today is such a beautiful and perfect counterexample to this. Right? Jesus' encounter with, this, with the Pharisees and the scholars of the law and his treatment of this paralyzed guy. He says to him, your sins are forgiven. And they respond, blasphemy. Right? Who does this guy think he is? Only God alone can forgive sins. You're right. You're right. And he responds, asking them this question. It's significant. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or 
rise, take up your mat, and go. We all know the answer to that question, right? Like, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. There's no way to corroborate that, right? Just your sins are forgiven. But if I were to say, rise, paralyzed man, take up your mat and go, and he's just like, my legs, you know? It's very clear that you don't have the authority that you seem to claim to have. So this is what Jesus says, which is easier? Which is easier? Then he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, right? And the word authority is the root of like the word author, octor, meaning like to have the author's rights over, to give birth to, to, to be the generative principle of, right? So that I have the author's rights, like the creator, to for, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your stretcher and go home. He stood up immediately before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home. Can you hear the structural parallelism here to the, the early text of Genesis, Genesis 1, right? God said, then God said, let there be light, and there's light. God said, rise, take up your mat, go home. He rose, took up his mat, and went home. There's an intentional parallelism here, right? Luke is intentionally showing us that this is God in the flesh. The God who made that light is the one who spoke to this man. The God who made the light is the one who spoke to this man. This is a very high Christology. This is a very high view of Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. He's clearly being portrayed as God in the flesh, moving among his people. So I don't want to hear, like, this whole historical critical thing, first few Gospels, low Christology, they don't really think of Jesus as God. John's Gospel, no, no, no. That's bogus. That's absolute bogus. You also see, also see how what Jesus is doing in the gospel is a fulfillment of the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah that we heard in the first reading from Isaiah. That when the Messiah comes, the deaf will hear, the mute will speak, the lame will leap. Jesus is doing what it is said that God would do when the Messiah came. Okay, here's the final thought. I guess it's kind of connected. There are a lot of people that you and I are constantly praying for, no doubt. We have a lot of people in our worlds, children, grandchildren, neighbors, friends, people that we are concerned about. There's a lot of people who we are always bringing to the Lord in prayer who need conversion and healing and clarity and peace and consolation, etc., etc. And my encouragement would be this, that like our mode of intercessory prayer should be like these friends in the gospel. Like in other words, that when we bring, when we come to Jesus, we ought not come to Jesus and say, this is what you need to do for this person. Simply do what the friends did. Just bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Like put them in his presence. Lay him there in Jesus' presence. Lay him in front of him. Like, Lord, like, I don't know what's going on in David, let's say, David's life. I don't know what he needs right now, Lord. I don't fully grasp what's going on in his life or his world or his heart, but you do. And so, Lord, I just place him before you. I lay him at your feet. Okay, that's my encouragement for intercessory prayer. A little biblical scholarship, a little intercessory prayer uh, for us this morning. Amen.